early on in the session, I often ask clients, what do they want to walk away with uh, today? And he said, well, what I really need right now, it's a little bit tactical, but I really need some tips from you on how to approach this meeting this afternoon. That's a negotiation. And I want to get to this particular outcome. And I think this person wants something completely different. So I want to walk away with some tips from you. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. It's how we learn and now it's your turn. Let's get Welcome to the University of Adversity. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Super grateful to have you guys here today. If you're new, welcome. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. Appreciate you guys. Hope everybody's staying safe out there. Today's guest, um, I've connected with a couple times um, on different conversations. We connected on LinkedIn almost a year ago. Because of the nature of my work, I was reaching out and kind of looking at podcasting and different people that I thought may be interested in finding out, you know, why they have pod, why they don't have one, you know, what's stopping them. Because I do podcast production, I want to do my research. And I came across this, my next guest, um, Jen Lofgren, and we had a conversation. We connected and she's very successful in the coaching space, in the leadership space, and one thing led to another and I wanted her to come on the show. What I find important is that we find the right people to teach us the skills that we need in order to become the best humans we can be, right? And we, we dive into all of that. We dive into her story. She's got a really relatable story and she's really just an, an awesome person. And I really, truly had a great time chatting with her. So she is the founder of Encito, a leadership and executive coaching organization that helps executives across North America unlock their leadership potential and grow into inspired, authentic leaders. Whether she's coaching executives, moderating local industry events, or giving back within her community, Jen focuses on learning greater accountability and clarity around choice management, setting clear priorities, critical thinking, and strategic leadership. She's been recognized as one, of, as one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women by Women's Executive Network in 2019. So grateful to have her on, and I know you guys will get a ton of value. So sit back, relax, get out your pens and papers. Jen Lofgren coming right up. All right, and we're on. Jen, welcome to the show. So good to connect again. <laughs> Thank you, Lance. Good to be here. So it's been a long time coming been wanting to do this and I'm I'm really excited you uh, have quite the background you're doing amazing things and what better time to chat about the craziness in the world your story everything that's going on and you know give some amazing knowledge and impact some lives so thank you for coming on my pleasure thank you let's uh, let's talk about what's before we get into your story what's happening right now how, how are you do, how's how's it going right now with everything you know, surprisingly, things are things are going really well. Um, I'm in my office today, but I've been spending most of my time in my home office. It's seven blocks away from here. And uh, the reality is a lot of things in my business and my personal life haven't changed 
a whole ton because of the scope of the work that I do. I work with clients across North America and we do a lot of work through video conference. It's the clients I work with in person in Calgary that we've had to change things up and not see them here in the office and move to video conference. My daughter, that's the biggest one being home and she's back to school, but she's doing school by video conference and uh, navigating how to have everybody doing their own thing in, in the house right now. has been uh, the biggest change for us. Yeah, that's got to be, everybody's so used to going and doing their thing. You know, there's, it's great to have family time, but sometimes too much family time. It's like, all right, everybody needs their space. It's kind of like, it's a, it's a lesson in itself. Right. And we've had healthy expectations around that. Even from when my daughter was really small, uh, a lot of parents, when their kids stop having naps, they stop having that separation and that quiet time. And our take was, Everybody needs a break from each other. And so you don't have to have a nap, but you do have to go spend time in your room by yourself. Everybody needs a break from one another. And so we've always had that opportunity to, and permission to have time away from each other, whether it's in the same room and you're reading a book and you're not talking to one another or to go in another room and be apart from each other. We've always had that expectation that Mm. it's okay for you to take a break from one another and it's not bad. In fact, it's healthy. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, this is a really interesting time because before we hit record, uh, we started talking about stuff and then I, I wanted to stop before we get into all the good stuff. You know, this kind of opportunity, the way this world is, is these things happen and some people retreat and some people go into the, into the challenge. And I'm just interested to see, you know, your environment around you, the people around you. Do you notice a lot of people seeing opportunity in this or a lot of people scared? You know, what is the general consensus around, you know, just your environment in general? I I think I I see a split of both, really. I I can't tell you that I'm seeing a leaning more one way than the other. I'm seeing some people are scared and either scared for their jobs and they're trying to position to be needed in their jobs or they're scared for their family and their finances and they're um, not showing up their best selves in some tough conversations because mm-hmm. they're driven by fear. And then I'm seeing the other side. I'm seeing people that are, they're still scared, but they're, they're pausing and they're reflecting on what they want and how they want to be. And um, it, it's really um, what I'm doing right now. Although there's, there's things that I'm, I'm concerned with and that are uncertain I'm not letting them consume me. I, I, there isn't a right answer. I don't know how they're going to work out yet. I'm, I'm taking everything in stride as this idea of more acceptance of, okay, that's what's happening now. It's new information for me. What do I want to do with that? Mm-hmm. And I see that a lot of people um, are taking that approach of, of that sense of acceptance and letting go of controlling the situation and taking that into that, next decision even though there's no right decisions right now and there's not one clear path forward for people but i do see that there is that divide some people operating from fear and some people even though the fear shows up that that pause taking it in and then making a next choice yeah do you think that a lot of it do you, do you notice that the people that have kind of worked hard on themselves at, you know, their core at really trying to be confident in themselves, 
are showing up better than somebody that hasn't done the work or is it kind of, is it kind of, do you see people that have, you know, done a lot of work that are still, cause I, I still struggling. Cause I kind of like to, to see it. It's like all for myself personally, you know, I put in a lot of work, a lot of personal growth. And I feel like that was preparing for, for something like this mentally. And that's why we do the work. Right. And I just find that a lot of people that haven't been doing that are kind of getting lost in it and the fear takes over. And, you know, how, what do you see about that? Do you, do you notice that? Or, or the people still doing a lot of the work are still kind of struggling. Like, what do you see with that? You know, I think it's the people that have, have done the work. Um, and even though they're struggling, they're reaching out and they're asking for help or they're going back to mm. those life lessons and reaching back to them to use that as a guide for them. And then I think there's some other people that they maybe haven't done the work head on, but they've had to go and do their own work because of the different circumstances they've experienced in their life and their families and their businesses that have helped them do that personal work, even though they maybe didn't set out to do that work. Mm they were thrust into doing their own personal work and called to do it to make the most out of challenging circumstances that they've been through in their life. Yeah. No, it's just, it's such a interesting time. So aside from that, let's, let's take it back a little bit. Let's, let's hear about, let's tell everybody about your story. What was it like? You can start wherever you feel is necessary that impacted your journey, but what was it like for you growing up? You know, how was that? Walk us through the journey of kind of how you got to where you are today. Um, you know, I, I didn't have the easiest go of growing up. I, I moved a lot. I went to a lot of different schools. And, uh, you know, there were some challenges in, in my family. And a lot of family have challenges. And I think one thing that's a little bit different about my story is uh, one year I, I was, uh, it was January. It was one week back to school. and. I was uh, four months away from my 16th birthday and I found myself suddenly uh, three o'clock in the morning uh, at a shelter for struggling youth for runaway youth, except I hadn't run away. And it was two blocks away from my high school. And uh, you think about uh, where, where you were and what you were doing at 15. And I think back at that number and I go, I was 15. And then I meet, my 15 year old babysitter a couple of years ago and reflect on, wow, yeah. um, I was in grade 10, you know, I was, I, I was 15 and I was stuck in this uh, limbo for four months of um, too old to be a ward of the government, but too young for any other government supports. And there was nowhere else for me to go at that time, except spend four months in that shelter and go from, uh, I was an IB student, um, I had 90% grades. I was also in French immersion. So I was, my identity was one of those kids that was doing really well in school. And I was part of a particular group where most of what I was doing was trying to do the right things and trying to find my way as a young person. And my priority went from doing well in school to just trying to figure out how to go to school and how to deal with all the new challenges that came my way of um, where am I going to live or how am I going to pay my bills when I, when I am eligible for some government support, cause it's not going to be enough. And mm. what am I going to do for my summer? It's not going to be the same as everybody else. And how am I going to just make my way to school? And it 
turned into dropping out of um, French immersion, dropping all the IB courses and, you know, just trying to pass, not, not even do well. That's really um, a turning point for me as a young person that shaped a lot of who I am today. So what was, when you were at 15, what was uh, some, what were you thinking about that you wanted to do with your, in, as a, as a career, you know, we kind of have these ideas at that age, they usually change, but what was it for you that you wanted to do? You know, I, I actually don't know. I, I don't think I, I knew it at the time I was, I was trying to figure mm-hmm. that out at that time and exploring yeah. that and taking all the different sciences at school, but I was also taking uh, drama classes and I was interested in that and uh, developed a, a lifelong love for theater as a result of um, in drama class being required to go and observe some plays at Theater Calgary, downtown Calgary. You know, that was nurtured early. I ended up taking automotive classes uh, when all this happened at uh, 15. I was just a couple of weeks into taking an automotive class at my high school. I was in one of the few high schools in Calgary that offered automotives at the time. That wasn't a career um, direction for me. I was doing it because I had to take something non-academic and I thought, why not? Everybody should be literate and understand about their vehicle. And so I'll take that. Um, but what ended up happening is my first job, looking at the summer ahead of me, is I joined the reserves, joined the military. And why oh. I joined was I needed a full-time job. I needed somewhere stable to live over the summer. And uh, I was inspired by the teacher I had for that automotive course. Hmm. There was a test one day that semester and you had to stay for the first hour of the hour and a half class. You weren't disturbing people when you left from the test. And I finished my test before the hour was up and I saw everybody else would flip over their test and they put their head on the desk and snoozed or hung out. I went and I handed mine in and I pulled out a Ray Bradbury book. I even remember the book. Uh, from under my desk and I started reading until the bell went and on my way out of the door the teacher stopped me and I thought I'm in trouble for something else and he said hold up you're the first student who's ever voluntarily pulled out a book and started reading in my class keep doing that I took three years of automotives in high school because of that teacher it was the same teacher but it was also at a time where I, I couldn't figure out what else I wanted to do so why not do that for now and so when I joined the military reserves, I joined as a vehicle technician. And I remember the recruiter saying, you could do anything looking over the IQ tests and uh, other exams that they put you through. Why do this? You could do anything. We'll give you your choice. And I was young and I'm like, I, I don't know. And so that's what I did. And that became my first job. But also one of my first examples of a really great leader that saw my strengths when I couldn't see them when I was really stuck and Mm. they, they had a huge impact on me and it, you know, more than, Oh my gosh, it's 30 years later. Wow. I love that because that's, I've heard that so many times and I've experienced that in my own life with coaches, like in hockey or in, in any job. Sometimes those, those people that can recognize what you don't see yourself even though you know it intuitively, but they bring it out. Yeah. It's such a great feeling. And you can really, it really, it doesn't happen often. So when it does, it's such a good feeling to be seen. Mm-hmm. Right? What, okay, let's unpack it though a little bit. What exactly can you remember that that teacher did? That, like, what, what were some other things that made them be a good leader? Recognizing what 
you had, your talents, and what else? What are the things that you've taken into your own life today? He never let me off the hook. Mm. Over those three years, there were times where I wasn't making it to school. Mm. I wasn't getting my stuff done. Despite having the best intentions, I would get overwhelmed. I would lose my way. I would turn in something late. I was overwhelmed with all the other things going on. He didn't give me a free pass, mm. never did. Absolutely held me accountable and called me to the plate and didn't always know the things I was dealing with. And it didn't really matter because he didn't lower the standards just because I had hard stuff going on. I think that's, I think that's important that he, he had a lot of empathy, but he didn't have sympathy for me. He didn't feel sorry for me. It's like, okay, you still have to get your stuff done. So how are we going to help you get that done? Well, if you were to say what somebody, I'm sure you get asked this a million times, but I have to ask you, what makes a good leader? You know, what are the three things? Because, you know, everybody needs a good leader out there, especially in times like this, we need them more than ever. You know, what would you say makes a good leader and what can people do to become that good leader? You know, I'm going to come back and I'm going to listen to this and I'm going to go, oh, I wish I said this and I wish I said that. I always do that whenever <laughs> I finish the interview. I should have asked that. Damn. <laughs> you know, but if I look at this story... I think some of the things that come out for me, the three things that come out for me is that genuine caring about the other person. Mm. And another word I'd put it to it is embracing that humanity and seeing that other person, their strengths, um, talking to them, noticing them, but just genuinely caring about them. And I think the other piece is you know, calling people to the plate and challenging them, whether it's accountability or pushing them uh, like some of those great coaches that you've had in your own life and really pushing others to be their, their very best, even when they don't want to be their best. And then I think the other one is giving people a sense of direction when they don't know where to go, that vision piece of where are we going and whether it's as a team or a group, or even talking about what you see in someone, what their potential is and, and bringing that to their attention of here's what I see for you even when they can't see it for themselves. I think those are the three things that mm. stand out for me from that experience. Mm. You know, I always used to feel as well, I never wanted to let them down. You know, even though they, you, mm. they never say you're going to let me down, somebody that's yeah. like a mentor or leader, but you, you knew that because they, see, because they could see you and because they gave you that respect, they allowed you to be human. They allowed you, but they didn't, you know, they kept, you kept you in line. You didn't want to let them down. As for other people, you're like, I don't care. Screw them. I'll just, doesn't matter. Right. You kind of rebel against them. You know, that, that I find is really powerful. Those people that you have that yeah. respect for. I think part of it is you don't want to let them down because they care so much about you Yeah, that they're willing to stick by you through hard yeah. stuff and not let you off the hook where it would be way easier yeah. to abandon you or let you take the easy path. You don't want to let them down because they stick by you through all that stuff where everybody else takes the easier path and they have. So how did you get into all of the leadership and coaching? And cause, okay. So you went from like the automotive, you went your military that's just such, such a different, I would never guess that. How did you get, I can see how this would, in my own mind, how this would, how this would go into leadership from the military, but walk us through that journey because that's super interesting. 
Well, there's been a lot of segues along the way. I went from the military. That was a part-time job in high school and a little bit past. And I ended up in a, in a car accident and I wasn't able to do a manual labor job. I worked for the military and I worked in a, a bagel shop in, in the back making bagels at the time of this car accident. And I was discharged from the military and I lost my job and I ended up finding a job through a placement agency with an interior designer, one of Calgary's most recognized interior designers at the time. And so here in a couple of years, I went from being a homeless youth to spending time babysitting plumbers and running errands and sitting in the homes of some of the wealthiest families wow. in our communities and learning from them and spending time with them uh, was a gift for me in understanding a new side of people and helped me recognize that no matter how much money people have, it doesn't change their humanity, their compassion. It doesn't make them a good person, a bad person. It doesn't take away any of their worries. Um, but it also doesn't necessarily give them more worries that I was surprised how much they were like other people in my life. So that was an important point in my learning. And I was only there for a year, year and a half and recognizing that there's only so long I can do this. And it was a nice, stable job gave me lots of learning about people and I got curious about, well, now what do I want to do? And I started university in psychology. So I left that job and I went to school full time in university and uh, I made it a year and a half and I wasn't doing well. I didn't have support structure around me. I didn't have the skills to make it in university. And so I, I stopped attending. I made the conscious choice to withdraw because I had student loan piling up and I was fearful of getting a degree that uh, sure I was passing courses but I wasn't going to come out with a useful degree when I was done and not able to get a job and have huge student loan and uh, one of the things I didn't tell you about is before I ended up uh, out on my own I was in a fairly isolated situation and my way of having friends and having conversation when I was at home was old school bulletin board systems where you'd use dial-up modem dial into these chat rooms where I could talk with people through the computer mm. and I had developed a lot of computer skills as a result and when I withdrew from university I was talking with a friend and he says well you've got really great computer skills let me introduce you to someone I know that's the general manager at this electronic store and I became their computer department manager and that was a temporary job to do for a bit while I regrouped for a year to figure out how to be successful and return to university but what happened was there were more people that came into my life over time, new mentors that saw my strengths that introduced me to a next step and a new role that mm. took me into uh, a telecom company and then another telecom company and developed my skills, not just in computers, but in computer networks that led to an 11 year career in information technology. And in the end of that career, I had been through a few telecom companies, I lost my job in the dot-com bust when our whole team was downsized from Calgary to Toronto and became a consultant for a couple of years. So I knew what it was like to be out of work for five months and nine months and navigating that and what it meant to be a consultant. And then I ended up in a really great role. I made the decision to move from being consultant, although I had lots of opportunity. I wasn't satisfied. There was something I, I wasn't fulfilled by and I thought maybe it was I need to be part of a team again embedded in the organization. And so I said yes to a role with an energy company where I oversaw the projects in Gulf of Mexico, Colombia, and the Middle East. Wow. I loved it at first. I had great teams 
that I worked with, our projects were interesting. And uh, after a couple of years, same problem crept up again. And I took a deeper dive of what is this about? And I loved growing and developing my team. I love partnering with the business on strategic decisions. I loved so many different aspects of the role. But what dawned on me is I wasn't passionate about the technology. I didn't love the core of what I did. I just happened to be good at it. And then I realized, if, if not this, then what? If this isn't the career for me, then what do I want to do? And it was an opportunity to be intentional about where I wanted to go. But this time was different because I was married about a year. And I had a partner that was um, really invested in me being fulfilled in my life. And it was annoying because he was somebody that came home every day and you'd ask him how his day was and he'd say, great, how was yours? Crappy. Tomorrow, he'd say, I'd say, how's your day? Great, how was yours? Crappy. And I wanted that. I'm like, I gotta have that. So he, my husband was an inspiration for me and I wanted to find what he had. I wanted to be able to, at the end of my day, say, it was great and I'm doing what I'm meant to do and I love this. And I'd never met anybody who was so obnoxiously happy about what they did. Yeah. And so I was grateful for that. And I, uh, I decided to quit my great paying career, my choice of jobs, my choice of opportunity. I had a great brand as a woman with great customer service skills, leadership skills, development skills. And I went back to school full time. And I told my team I was leaving and it was rewarding at first. Some of them said, oh, where are you going? Can we join you? And I said, well, I'm not going to another company. I'm going back to school. And their next response was, you're crazy. Why would you do such a thing? And then I told them what I wanted to do. And they said, wow, you'll be so great at that. It just goes to show, you know, how important it is to kind of follow what feels right. You know, so many people don't do that. So many people would rather do something that's safe, that'll pay the bills, that won't actually follow their their heart. I mean, you see it all the time. And, you know, it, what that part wasn't so hard because of the support I had around me at that um, time. Yeah, the environment is so important. The hard part was something I didn't anticipate, though. Hmm. The hardest part was not quitting my job, not saying I'm a student, not going back to school full time. It was for the first time since I was 15, I was suddenly financially dependent on someone else. Oh, okay. That was hard. And I, yeah. I did not anticipate that. And it took me a while to work through and it really impacted my, my self-identity. I didn't, I didn't think that would be hard. I didn't even consider it at all mm. until... I was talking with my husband and I remember explaining to him I needed some money and this is what I wanted to buy. And he said, you don't have to tell me. Let's put some money in your account and you yeah. do with it what you want. And I'm like, well, no, I don't feel good about that. He's like, no, that's not the deal. We're a team. Yeah. And it does just because it's the money that I'm earning through my employment, you're doing what you need to be doing for us and our future. That's how it works. And I'm not going to be asking you and nor will I allow you to report to me how you're spending every dime. How, what a, what a, what a great lesson to be able to lean into that discomfort of having to ask for something like, because that's the whole point of marriage, right? The partnership, 
but we get so everybody gets so proud and they don't want to ask but what a great lesson that must have been it just kind of you know especially being so independent and allowing yourself to be able to ask and that's an issue with so many people just to be able to kind of go okay i'm in this situation you know i love this person or i care about this person it's okay to ask and he gave me a lot of permission and the funny thing is that and i was asking but in reality, I realize I don't need to ask. Yeah. Uh, every couple deals with their finances differently. We have joint accounts. We have blended finances. We have a joint credit card. Yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't look at us as a team. I looked at it as his money and I needed to care for it versus mm. our money. And they, we both play a role in caring for it. And it was an interesting journey to go through because, as I said, it, it was more tied to my identity than anything else. And there was a lot of permission that he gave me through that that helped me deal with, I got nothing to prove. And this is a time that I could receive it and not, not always give. What did you take? What was the course? Like, what, did, what was the program? Uh, it was human resources. And so I, uh, I graduated in my early 30s from human resources and got my HR designation with an interest in leadership, culture, and teams. Wow. I was interested in this journey of leadership and watching some of the leaders that I had reported to that I didn't want to be like. But deep mm -hmm. down, they were nice people that nobody had helped develop and they were pulling out their hair and they were stressed and they were micromanaging and they were just trying to find their way. And I was really curious about that journey and how I might contribute to it, to it being better that led me into my, my first role was internal and human resources in an organization um, doing that kind of work. But over a couple of years, it changed and it was going to be more general HR work. And that's not what I was passionate about that led me to starting my business in, in 2009. And what a time to start a business. I don't know if you remember, but 2009 was oh, a terrible yeah. downturn. Yeah, that was, that was a crazy time. I guess, you know, I, yeah, I've, I've interviewed so many people who lost everything in that. That 2008 was just insane. But then a lot of people created successful businesses in that time. <laughs> I, I believe a recession is the very best time to start a yeah, business. And yeah. here's why. Anybody can start a business when there's a boom, when times are really good. But it doesn't teach you to start a sustainable business. And when things go sideways, you're having to figure out how to run your business and how to keep sustainable. I started a business at a time where I had to learn those things from the very beginning that through the 2015 downturn, uh, we lost business uh, within a two month period and it all came back over the next six months and 2016 was our biggest year despite uh, it persisting to be a downturn at that time. Uh, I continued to apply lessons that I used when I started my business and had used all the way through. And, uh, We've grown since then, and I don't know how this COVID situation and this downturn is going to impact us, but I do know that I've had that solid grounding over 11 years of not taking opportunity for granted and to look at sustainable relationships and a sustainable business, not just the easy wins. Well, you have the skills, though, that no matter what happens to the economy or anything, human beings still need to communicate and be led. Right? Like if you take everything away, like you have to, there, there's always going to be a spot for leaders and coaches that know what they're doing because you're going to need to inspire people. You need to lift people's spirits. Even if everything, we went back to caveman days, you still need the leaders, right? To do anything. 
we do. So it's, it's, it's almost like an exciting time because if you have that, that those skills, it's like, all right, how do we, you know, how do we lead? How can we coach? And this is why I, I'm excited about this topic is that, you know, okay, from when you started to, to now, where, where have you grown or where have you seen coaching and, le- and leading? How has it changed? How have you evolved? Like maybe walk us through from the start to now or maybe some of the things that you see people are doing wrong. You know, in, in the beginning, I was really worried about showing up as the perfect coach. Mm. One of my um, personal growth uh, challenges is uh, not hustling for, for worthiness and acceptance. And as an early coach, I was looking to do this coaching thing just right, do it perfect, be accepted by my clients. But that would hold me back from putting everything on the line to challenge my client for the sake of what they wanted because I was afraid of them not liking me or not working with me anymore. Mm. That's not in service of my client. That's in service of me. Uh, yeah. And so that was an, an important learning for me and learning along the way that it's not about a model or a particular technique. The most important thing I could do is just intently listen to that other person and trust that, I don't have the right answers. In fact, I don't have the answers at all. I might have frameworks and depth of understanding on leadership, leadership development, and the journey of leadership, but I only get to see this small slice of my client's life, their business, their business challenge. They're the expert on their business, their team, and themselves. I get to be that partner with them and bring some new perspectives for us to explore together and look at what we unlock or bring some stories from learning with other clients or some of the other uh, frameworks and knowledge I have, but none of them have the right answer. They're just tools for us to use to figure out what the best answer for that client is and help them unlock it. That's what's helped me go from a beginning coach to earning my professional um, coach designation and eventually my master certified coach designation is really letting, letting go of being the perfect coach and letting go of having the right answers or even letting go of finding an answer. That's not my accountability. That's my clients. My, my job is to be that trusted partner by their side that pushes them and calls them to the plate and brings compassion and empathy, but stay by their side as that partner and keep pushing through to help them find something a solution or a path forward or maybe what they just need to sit and be uncomfortable with for right now. Yeah. I love that. Would you say that a lot of people are looking for you to give them the solution, but they have it within them already. They just need to be kind of, it has to just be discovered by them because nobody can make the change but themselves. But sometimes we need that person to pull it out and be like, ha, huh, I realize this is what I have inside of me already. Right? Like you're not giving them anything. It's not like, here's this thing. This is going to give you what you need. It's like, would you say that's kind of like allowing them to discover what they need to do themselves? Right? Would you say? Yeah, totally. You make me reflect on a client session earlier this week. And early on in the session, I often ask clients, what do they want to walk away with today? And he said, well, what I really need right now, it's a little bit tactical, but I really need some tips from you on how to approach this meeting this afternoon that's a negotiation and 
I want to get to this particular outcome and I think this person wants something completely different. So I want to walk away with some tips from you. And my response back was, so what's important about my tip? And he paused for a minute (laughs) and he said, you know, that's a good question. And I know your tips aren't going to help me. I think what I need is for you to help me figure out what I already know. That's what it is, right? It's, it's, it's like allowing people to think differently at a different energy and to pull these things out. See this, this fascinates me because I want to coach too, you know, after being involved in, in, you know, running bars and being on, you know, high level hockey teams and now podcasting. I love this stuff. I love coaching. I love learning from people like yourself, successful people. And what allows us to be able to, to pull out the gold and help these people, you know, and, and I just love, I I really want to excel in this myself. That's why this kind of stuff um, is so important to me because there's a lot of coaches out there. There's a lot of coaching programs. There's a lot of noise, but a lot of people are scared to step up to the plate and coach because they feel underqualified or they feel you need to do this or you need to do that. Nowadays with what's going on, where do you see all that with coaching? Does somebody somebody that wants to coach and they don't have the option of going and becoming educated specifically in coaching and, and all that. Like as far as, you know, you can go and get degrees and whatever you want, leadership or whatever. But some people don't have that option. What do you recommend for people, even like myself, who want to dive in further into the coaching world and be of service to people if they don't have the resources to go to like university or something like that? As a credential coach, I have to say that I'm, I'm a big believer that if you're going to make coach your profession, that you need to go and get education. Mm-hmm. Yet anybody can also develop coaching skills and start applying them right now mm-hmm. that costs you very little money to start reading books on coaching and educating yourself. Uh, in my technology career, most of my learning was self-paced learning. You couldn't even learn it in a university at the time. You did it through um, private training or buying the books and doing self-study you can do the same as a coach and start reading yourself and educating yourself, attending webinars, engaging in your local coaching community and learning from other coaches and immersing yourself in that skill. Another way to start coaching is volunteer. Give of yourself and support the development of someone that wouldn't have access to someone in their life to help them grow and develop. You can volunteer as a mentor. You can volunteer in a nonprofit and having coaching conversations with someone to help them through whatever they might be dealing with because they wouldn't have access to a professional coach anyway. So that's a way for you to continue to practice that education that you're giving yourself. You still need to go and practice it in some capacity. And volunteering is one of the best ways to not only develop yourself as a coach, but also to develop leadership. Yeah. Personally, I've been getting on calls and just talking with people just specifically in podcasting and doing it for free because I enjoy it. And I find it's nice when they, you know, someone comes and they want advice. I'm more than happy because when I needed somebody to to help me, it, it was great to have a resource that would just help me without, you know, and people are like, oh, I want to give you money. I'm like, no, no, it's fine. I, I'm happy to help. And I love that because it's the same sort of thing. It's like you practice. 
And I even say to them, I say, I'm getting better by doing this for you. I'm being able to articulate how I speak and the process. I feel better doing it for free because I can work on the method on how to, do, how to deliver because a lot of us don't really know what we're doing. It's like you got to kind of, even if you're educated on, you still got to figure out how to communicate it in a way, right? Like it's, there's like a form, there's got to be a, a systematic approach to it too, right? There is. And there's, there's a variety of di different coaching models. Yet my learning in becoming a more experienced coach has been about know the models, but don't run a rigid model. If there's anything to practice as a coach. It's being present with someone and letting go of pushing for the solution. There is a, a nonprofit that I serve on the board for that uh, provides a leadership program for struggling and disadvantaged youth. Mm. And part of the process is they pair them with, we call them a coach. It's a safe adult mentor. And these youth haven't had a lot of safe adults in their lives. And the training that the coaches go through is mostly how to listen and not to offer anything at all and to just sit and be with that person. And if there's anything that we have a bias towards, it's problem solving and to develop your skills to just sit and be with and listen from a place of no judgment and notice the natural question that might bubble up for you. And if there's not one that bubbles up, to be okay with that and start practicing being in silence with other people and letting that that be okay and by doing so you're allowing that person someone to be with them in their thinking and it's amazing the new thinking that emerges from the other person if you just sit in that silence with them mm, i would love to do that you know especially i love that you're doing that that's amazing by the way like because these youth they they it's such a difficult time growing up. You couldn't pay me enough money to go back to my teen years. Like it was, it was, it was just like, you know, I had like a crazy stepmom. I had like, it was so emotionally, so emotionally draining. And I just think about these kids growing up and, and now with social media, they can't escape from their phone. And it's just like, wow, I can't even imagine what it must be like. And to be able to offer that support to, to kids. It's like they've never had anybody listen to them before. And yeah, like just to have, just to know that they're being heard, like we're saying, you know, just to know that somebody's there without pushing an agenda on them. They can just speak and be heard. And I just think that's so powerful. And I don't think a lot, there wasn't enough of that. And that's when I was growing up, that wasn't anything, that wasn't even an option, especially internet was not even really a thing when I was in high school mm -hmm. or like, you know, later it was still and now that's the beautiful thing of the internet and these kind of calls is that you can get on and talk to people if you, if you need to. It's not just like calling a 1-800 number or whatever. It's actually more interactive. And I, I think that's such an awesome way to do it, you know, because there's, everybody's craving that somebody to listen, you know, and I think back at those times and I was like, wow, if I had that, somebody just to talk to, right? And it could have solved so many problems, well, helped solve so many problems, right? Oh, yeah, it's, uh, makes me a little emotional thinking about, you know, some of these kids and stuff and, and how important that is. So, wow. What, so now with what's going on in, in the world and, you know, people wanting to be coaches and leaders and, you know, or just in general, people have this time now to reflect what do you recommend for somebody 
that wants to explore a new journey? Like what, what should somebody be doing right now? What, what would you recommend if someone asks you, within this, this, this crazy situation, I'm kind of at a crossroads, what would you recommend them to do to take steps in maybe a new direction? You know, I, I think the first thing that comes to me is answering the question, what, what are you curious about? And noticing that and capturing that and doing it from a place of, of non-judgment. Just what are you genuinely curious about? A lot of people get hung up on what am I passionate about? What's my purpose? Well, passion and purpose are something that get nurtured and developed over time. And it starts with just a curiosity. And I, I really invite people to notice what are you curious about and not to judge it right away. And of the things that you're curious about, you could just pick one or two that you want to spend some time learning more about. What do you want to start with? All the rest of them will be there for you to come back to later. Which, mm-hmm. which one do you want to start learning a little bit more about? Yeah. And we set ourselves up with the expectation of too much too soon or figuring it all out and making a decision and having the right answer. When I made the decision to change careers and to go back to school full time, that didn't happen in a week. That mm-hmm. happened over nine months to a year. Hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I love that. The being curious about things and not judging it. Mm-hmm. People immediately, oh, that's stupid. That's not going to make us money. That's not going to make me money. I'm not going to do that. Like how many times has people done that, right? Even for me growing up. But that was the society we lived in. That was the culture. I was raised like that. If it doesn't make money doing that thing, then why would you do it? Like, and it's so ridiculous, especially things like arts. Arts is so important. The creativity of people. Doing things where you're, you're, you're exploring what comes natural to you. But, oh, well, that doesn't make you money. So go do something that makes you money and don't, don't, don't listen to like, what you actually enjoy. Like, it's, it's so crazy. I believe that if you really love it, you will find a way to make it happen for you. And it doesn't necessarily need to be your full-time job. I think of a leader that's a VP in an energy company that is a musician. And he was one of those musicians that uh, could have really made it. They, as a band, were traveling across Canada with some big headliners and they were opening for them. And he stepped out of the band because he wanted to, he wanted to have a family and he didn't think that that was a life to have a family in and had some regret of putting it aside, but continued to be in a, a band on and off over the years. And when we worked together, he was feeling unfulfilled and trying to figure out, well, do I leave my job? Do I... I can't go back to music full time and he was missing connection with nature and missing a lot of things. But what he realized is he really gave up these things and allowed his work to be everything and forgot that the work that he chose to do, his original plan was to use it to give him the freedom and the liberty to pursue the things he loved, mm. to pursue his family, to pursue time and ability to be in the outdoors, to pursue the resources to be able to have a band and do it on his own terms. He just stopped doing those things. And when he reframed the work that he was doing in a way of structuring it to create the life that he wanted around it, music became his vocation again, but not one that he resented and it kept him from having the lifestyle with his family he wanted or that maybe he wasn't making the money he wanted. He made the money he needed to in a career that he did enjoy, but he wasn't passionate about. 
and he immersed himself in his passion in time away from work and made that his vocation instead of his occupation. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I came to uh, human resources and then ultimately leadership work in coaching, it took me over that nine months to a year to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something that was with people, but I explored a lot of healthcare careers first. And through that exploration, realize, you know what, there's some things here that I really like, but there's still going to be some things missing because I realized through that, that it was really people development and kind of back to those roots of psychology where I started that I was interested in, but Mm -hmm. I found something new that I didn't know back then when I first started in psychology. Uh, my, My interest was in healing people. My interest was helping people maximize their potential and become their very best. And through coaching, that's where I could have the impact I cared about most. Mm. If I didn't make this my job, I would still probably do it in some other way, shape or form. And in some ways I still do. I, I engage in formal and informal mentoring that I don't get paid for. But the relationship is a little different. They're not, they're not my clients. And I'm able to show up in a different way with uh, those people that I mentor. or I, I engage in uh, some some boards and volunteering because they're organizations I'm passionate about that I want to be involved in that I don't have the uh, skills or time to make that a job, but I can still follow those passions in a variety of of different of different ways. Is there? I'm sure you've read a lot of books. You know, is there one or a mentor or a book that was really called you that made a that you recommend people to read maybe in leadership or coaching that was kind of almost like a non-negotiable. You're like, Oh, I have to recommend this to people, this, this book or this author or mentor in general. Uh, I think uh, there's so many that have impacted me. It's hard to pick one, but one that uh, I've really immersed myself in that opened up some new thinking for me was Brene Brown. Ah, yes. And I was introduced to Brene Brown by my own coach in 2010, uh, about three weeks after she gave her first TED Talk. And I watched her talk and I kind of got it. I'm like, there's something here. And I watched it again and I watched it again. I've watched that first TED Talk dozens of times. And it, it took a while to really sink in for me what was there for me. And it was about letting go. She talks about the journey of vulnerability. and every client I've introduced her work to over time, they take something different away. The core message is the same, but how I apply it to me and what it unlocks for me or every other client is, is different. But uh, she makes something that's so simple yet theoretical, very accessible and applicable to each individual person. And uh, I think her books around the gifts of imperfection and letting go of who you think you should be and just embracing who you are and not the excuse of, oh, that's just me, but truly like embracing, okay, this is who I am. So what do I want to do with that? And how do I be my, my best accepting who I am and where I am? Right up to her most recent book about leadership, Dare to Lead. It was such impactful work for me and for my clients that I went and I did training with her and her organization to get certified in delivering her work to bring it into my coaching with clients. It's one of many tools, uh, but a foundational tool and looking at that mindset of leadership and that mindset of, you know, back to doing our own work, that mindset of letting go 
of all that inner talk and what I call the itty bitty shitty committee and embracing the, okay, so who am I and accepting that? What do I want to do with that? Mm-hmm. And not getting in your, your own way anymore. I think that's the, uh, the longer term author that's really impacted me. And yet there's, there's so many others for her work. It's really about unlocking that mindset that allows you to really apply the wisdom of all the other thought leaders around um, personal development and leadership development. It's interesting. I didn't realize that she had her first Ted talk in 2010. So talking about vulnerability 10 years ago was not something that was common. Like that was, you know, strength was holding it in being tough. You hold things in that's tough. Right. And I love that conversation now that opening up and sharing your vulnerability, your truth, allows you to heal, allows you to let go. And I, I love the way she talks. And it's like, it's such a, it's such a liberating feeling, especially if you've had trauma growing up, we, we want to hold on to that and be still be that person. And, and knowing that sharing it, being vulnerable is actually the layers that you get to heal. And the more you share it, the more you feel better. I know that in my own life, I didn't realize that was going to happen. But the more I share my story, the more I feel like I'm letting it go. <laughs> And, and that's one part of the journey. And are you sharing it with someone who has earned the right to hear it from you? Mm. And there's also so many other layers to vulnerability. Sometimes yeah. vulnerability is speaking up and asking a question in a meeting instead of holding back and telling yourself it's, it, it's a, a stupid question and everybody else would know the answer. Sometimes the vulnerability for you is just asking the question uh. or, or maybe it's, that's such a good going, point. That's such a good point. Yeah. And sometimes it's going and having a hard conversation with someone to talk about the impact they had on you to reset the relationship instead of just letting it go and holding resentment and driving a wedge between you and a coworker or you and a family member. Mm-hmm. That's also vulnerability is being afraid and stepping into it anyway, because it's something you care about. Yeah. Yeah. Because in, 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 we don't do that because we're afraid of the judgment. Yeah. We're, we're afraid of that person not liking us or we're afraid of being judged because we got it wrong or we're afraid that uh, we, we might not get the outcome that we want. And then where, where do we go from here and feeling lost and everywhere yeah. in between. Yeah. Wow. So true. Wow. So I know we're coming towards the end here. What out of all the all the challenges and adversities you faced in your life growing up, you know, now, whenever, what is the number one lesson that adversity itself has taught you that people can apply in their own lives that are listening? I believe that you're never a victim of your circumstances, that you have infinite choice in how you navigate what comes your way. And if anything, you get to choose your attitude in how you show up. And when you do, then you create your own possibilities. Love it. This is this has been amazing, by the way. I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. Like this Thank is, you. I, I feel we got a ton of value for people, especially everybody that's... This is a time where I think the leaders of the world, the people that have that inner coach in them, that inner leader, it's time for them to kind of look for those, those steps that they can take, right? And, and hearing it from you is just, it was awesome. And 
I, uh, yeah, I, I really encourage people to check out your work as well. Where can everybody find you and where, where, where can we kind of explore what you got going on? Uh, you can find me on my website at uh, insito.ca and you can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. Awesome. No Instagram? No Instagram. <laughs> not on the ground. Not no, yet. No, gra- <laughs> no TikTok? <laughs> No TikTok. <laughs> How crazy is TikTok? It's kind of funny because it, it allows us to be like our, a kid again. It's like people ask me, they're like, it's so stupid. I'm like, yeah, but we're all kids. We're just grown up kids. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it allows us to kind of show that sort of human side of us too. And it's kind of, I don't do it. It's too hard for me to wrap my head around, but I see the point in it. I see the value in it, but it's going to be one of those things that's going to take a little while to, <laughs> to get going, right? Oh yeah. We'll, we'll make sure to have everything in the show notes. And again, I appreciate you so much. I'm, I'm so glad that we connected and you know, we've, we've spoken a couple times and uh, I'm so glad we got to make this happen. So thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed our conversation too. Thanks for uh, all your great listening and great questions. Uh, my absolute pleasure. Thanks everybody. Thank you everybody. Please share this episode. If you got value in your stories, take a screenshot Leave us a review if you can. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any. Whatever you can do to spread the love with this show, spread the love with this episode, it all helps, guys. I really, really appreciate it. And make sure to check out Jen. You guys heard her. She's a world world of knowledge, and I personally learned a lot from her too, so I hope you did also. Have an amazing day. Stay safe. Love you guys. Catch you next time.